The passage today on which the script, the sermon is based, is Colossians three, verse one through seventeen. I'm going to read it, then I will break it down and walk us through it. If I did not say so already, or if you do not know me, I'm my name is Pastor Evan. Um, that's actually not my name. That's my title and my name, Pastor Evan, from Liberty Church, who meets before you guys, and excited to be able to be here with you today. That's on page 984 of your pew Bibles, or you can always pull it up on your smartphone. Just Google Colossians 3, and that should get you there. Hear these words from the book that we love. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put, away, put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Jew, Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, Humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word and deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is God's word. There's a lot going on here in Colossians chapter 3, and as uh, someone who is known to give longer sermons at times, I'm going to try to just kind of jump right into what's happening here. But we are continuing this series where we've been talking about being transformed and what the transformed life looks like. And so far, as we, you guys have gone through Colossians, you discussed how Christ, the risen Christ transforms our identity. And because of that, Paul says in Colossians 2, because of what God has done in Jesus, we're given a transformed morality. And what's different about the Christian understanding of morality that may be different than even what we've heard before if we have a church background, the gospel makes it that we obey God out of gratitude for his love and approval that's been given to us in Jesus rather than trying to earn God's love and approval. It's already been earned for us because of Jesus. And so they have a transformed identity and transformed morality, but now we come by the power of the Holy Spirit. We'll also receive, we also receive a trans, we transform desires. So today what I want us to just take away is that the risen Christ transforms our desires as we seek to live lives consistent 
with what's already ours in him. So Jesus rose from the dead. This is what we celebrate on Easter. And so the question is like, how does Jesus, that, how does that change our lives? How does that transform our lives? What difference does it make? Well, as we talked about identity, morality, now we're talking about desires, and we want desires that are consistent with what's already ours in him. And so for that to actually happen, we need to think, act, and submit. So think, act, and submit. So first we have to think. Look at Colossians 3, 1 through 4 again. If you then been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So the first step to transform desires is to transform our thinking. If you've ever seen the Noom app, maybe on YouTube or TV, if you don't know what that is, maybe a younger person can point out to you, uh, but there's this app called Noom. It's a dieting app. And what they actually have really touched on is this idea of changing the way you think about food. So they realize like, it's not just about dieting. It's not just about what you eat and what you shouldn't eat, but also how you think about food. So if you're like me, you've grown up where food was attached to emotions. So you had a bad day? Go get some ice cream. You had a good day? Let's go have some ice cream. <laughs> so ice cream was something that Noom understands that ice cream is a trigger for me, is a trigger point for me, and that if I'm going to lose weight, not only do I not have to eat ice cream, now I also say as I've gotten older, dairy doesn't agree with me in the same way as it once did, so I don't really eat ice cream that much anyway. But those are not necessarily just the reasons why I shouldn't eat ice cream. But I need to actually think differently about food in general. I need to stop attaching emotions to food and food to emotions. So I have to think differently about food. So if we're going to have a transformed desire or transformed desires where it's not just what we do, but wanting to do these things, we need to have ones that are consistent with a life that we already have in Christ. We have to think differently about our desires. So according to Scripture, there are two ages, two time periods. One Scripture talks about is the present age, which is evil and it's under the control of Satan. But, and that's the age we live in now, but also there's another age that we can live in now, the new age, or the new creation, as Paul talks about it elsewhere. And that's actually begun already. And so that's begun, and because of this, the present age is passing away along with its desires. So 1 Corinthians 7, 31 says, for the present form of this world is passing away. So the age, what I call the future age, or the new age, or the new creation, is not something that's strictly in the future. It's actually been brought into the present by the death and resurrection of Jesus. So Jesus is ushered in this new age and it's already true. So when theologians talk about it, they talk about it as already and not yet. That the new age has begun already, but it's not yet. And I'll talk about that in a moment. But 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. And if you strictly translate that from the Greek, it's therefore, if anyone is in Christ, new creation. That something different has happened. Something 
something has changed completely with the cosmos, with time itself, that now there's this new creation that was in the future is now being brought into the present through the death and resurrection of Jesus, and that new age has come, and one day, so that's already, but one day, not yet, it will be brought to completion in Christ's return. So we kind of have an overlapping of ages now, but one is actually being, is passing away, and the other one will be for all eternity. So for those who put their faith and trust in Jesus, you've already begun to live as people of the new age. And this actually puts us in opposition, in contrast, in conflict with the present age. Because they both exist, and they both are determined to win. And so if we're people of the new age, we can expect opposition from the present age. So Paul says we're to, at the beginning he says, seek the things that are above. Then he says, set your minds on the things that are above. So seek and to set our minds, to think in this way. So that when it comes to our desires, we must think as people who are already part of the new age. As people who have already been transformed. So when we start thinking that way, first you have to realize what is yours in Christ already. And that will start to change your desires of what you want to do once you start to understand what is already yours. So you have to realize that what is Jesus's is yours as well. So anything that's true of Jesus also can be true of you. And so we receive a lot of things there. And the Bible tells us which of those things are true of us that is also true of Jesus. So it's interesting, in verse 1 he says, if you have been raised with Christ... Right? It's if you have been, you've already been raised with Christ. You're already living as people of the new age. And he talks a lot about that in Colossians 2. But if you look at other places like Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says you've already received spiritual blessings in Christ. So it's not that I'm looking for more blessings from God, which may happen, but Paul says you've already received spiritual blessings in Christ. Everything you need is already yours in Christ. And he says, as Ephesians 1 starts to develop a little bit more, and he starts to talk a little bit more, he says, because you're in Christ, what is his is yours. Things like adoption. You're a son of God because he's a son of God. And he's brought you into God's family. You received redemption because of his blood. You received forgiveness. You received an inheritance. You received the promised Holy Spirit. All of that is yours all ready so we can't then secondly we can't settle for the things of the present age if we're people of the new age our focus has to be on what this not what this present age offers us but what's ours already in Christ we have to change our focus and think differently about it see too many of us Settle for things of the present age. When the ones of the new age are far better. So if you realize after work tomorrow. That when you got home. There was a gourmet meal waiting for you. You wouldn't settle for McDonald's on the way home. You wouldn't. But so many of us spiritually we settle for McDonald's. When God is offering us a gourmet meal. He says this is better. And we're like. Nah, I like my quarter pounder with cheese. 
does sound good. McDonald's always sounds good, tastes good in the moment. But later, that's the problem, later. <laughs> but so you may have to wait for that gourmet meal and you have to skip McDonald's, you shouldn't sell for McDonald's, but same thing here, right? It's already not yet. You might have to wait to receive all these things in Christ in completion. And a lot of it's hidden with Christ, which Paul talks about, which means it's yours already, but it's safely tucked away with Jesus, which is extremely comforting. But one day God will make that plain to everyone, as Paul talks about here, at the return of Christ, his appearance, which is a a unique way of talking about Christ returning is actually Christ will appear. Almost like a shade in the room being lifted up. You'll be able to see the new creation and Christ will be there. So we need to think, but we also need to act. So look at verse 5 through 11. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetedness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So let's actually stop there. The second step to be transformed, to have transformed desires, is to transform the way you act. In college, I had a job at UPS where I worked overnight as a sorter. So what a sorter does is when the boxes come off the truck, they come down a conveyor belt, and you're supposed to take the box, quickly look at the zip code, and then gently place the box in a chute for that zip code. And for me, the first like two to three weeks were absolutely terrible. I didn't sleep well. Every morning I was waking up sore with my arms and my shoulders while I was just really waking up every day sore and tired because I was gently placing boxes on chutes. But as time went on, I got used to the habitual nature of the schedule and the physical labor. So I wasn't so sluggish anymore from my new sleep schedule, and I started to see physical benefits of moving heavy boxes, and I became pretty fast at throwing boxes into chutes. And I was going to be honest, UPS, they're throwing your boxes. doesn't matter if it says fragile, it's being tossed. See, Paul doesn't say that once you've received a transformed identity that transformed desires are going to happen overnight. It may take some time, and you're going to see those desires change over time. And it might even be sore. It might even be painful. It might even be tiring. And it's going to be a battle. And sin will be a struggle. But the Holy Spirit is doing the work of sanctification and will continue to do the work of sanctification. Sanctification is just a way of saying, it's a word that means making us more, look more like Jesus. That's going to take time. It's going to be sore. It's going to be exhausting to say no to things and to turn down desires that you, and impulses that you want to give into. But over time, we'll begin to see ourselves becoming more and more like Jesus. 
Always beware the Christian who's already arrived, right? Who's already, already figured it out. Is already sinless. Remember a great story. My grandfather used to tell me that he met a, guy, a Christian who said that he's arrived. He's sinless. My grandfather said, I think you struggle with pride. Because <laughs> if you were sinless, you wouldn't have told me and bragged about it. But over time, we'll see ourselves becoming more and more like Jesus as we put to death or put off earthly things, the old self of the present age, and put on the new self of the new age. And we're supposed to put to death or put off two categories in particular Paul mentions here. The first one is sex. He says the first desires we're to put to death are sexual ones. See, sex is a gift from God. The Bible makes that clear. It's a good gift from God. Designed to be done within the confines of marriage between a man and a woman. And we are supposed to use that gift, but we're not supposed to abuse that gift. And the ways we abuse it, Paul lays out here. Sexual immorality, which means sex outside of marriage between a man and a woman. Impurity. Passion is like lustful passion. Paul talks about elsewhere, if someone is burning in passion, they should get married. It's the same idea. Evil desire. And covetedness. Which it can be an interesting way to think about, like why all of a sudden this random is like, all right, I get the, the first ones there. The first was that four of them. I get those ones, how they relate to sex. Covetedness, that doesn't make much sense. But really, covetedness can be, is just greed. And it can be sexual greed. Then in context, it's sexual greed, meaning wanting more than God has given you in terms of sex. So if God has given you a spouse, or if he hasn't, you don't go outside of that, of what God has given you for sexual fulfillment. You're content with what God has given you in that moment. Your spouse, and you don't go outside this, your spouse for sexual fulfillment, or in singleness, does not go outside of that, what God has given you, that gift, to find sexual fulfillment. So that can look like adultery, that can look like pornography or sleeping around. All of those things are going outside of what God has given us, wanting more than what God has given us. So we're supposed to use the gift of sex inside the confines of marriage. And it's not that what culture likes to paint it as, that Christianity or the Bible has this low view of sex, but it's actually, if you think about it, it's a high view of sex because it sets parameters for how it should be used. Now, the American Football Coaches Association, every year they give a crystal football, your college dollars at work, to the college football champion. So Alabama or Georgia, whomever, they get this crystal football. You know how much that crystal football is worth? $30,000. They hand to a teenager. And it's beautiful and it's very delicate, but I, like, I can't tell you, almost every time I see that football, I'm like, I wonder what it would be like to throw that thing around. <laughs> like, every year I see that football and I'm like, it would be really cool, like, I wonder if we could just like, toss it around in my backyard. Now that clearly would be an abuse of the trophy. The trophy is $30,000, crystal, I imagine it's very delicate, it should be in a trophy case somewhere, not with me in my backyard in Northeast Philly, throwing it around with my son. 
That's not what it's meant to be used for. It actually devalues it when I use it that way, right? It cheapens it. And Paul and the, and the Bible and Christianity says that when we go outside the, of marriage for sexual fulfillment, we start to abuse God's gift, revealing that we are the ones who actually have a low view of sex. And we devalue it. We cheapen it. So when we look at sexually explicit material online, or we withhold from our spouse to teach them a lesson, or we sleep with our girlfriend or boyfriend, or sleep with someone of the same sex, we abuse God's gift and we cheapen it. And Paul is saying, put those desires to death. Saying, don't mess around. Don't mess around with this. Don't think, well, I'll do it every once in a while. It's no big deal. I'll, I'll get it under control. That's not putting it to death. Don't think, oh, no one will know. Like Paul doesn't say, hey, it's, it's fine. As long as no one knows or it's like in the privacy of your bedroom, no big deal. Even if it's outside, if it's outside the confines of marriage, as long as you keep it private, no big deal. He doesn't say that. He says, no, kill it. Kill it. Turn off your phone at night. Shut your laptop. Delete whatever app. Get a filter on your computer. Don't be alone at night with your girlfriend or your boyfriend. Remove that person's number off your phone. Whatever it is, Paul is saying, like, put your hands around the neck, excuse me, the neck of that sin. Everybody awake now? <laughs> Talking about sex, and I'm hitting the microphone. Everybody's awake. Take your hands around the neck of those desires and squeeze until it can't breathe anymore. God tells us again the habit of killing those desires, not going outside the confines of marriage for sexual fulfillment, not because he doesn't want you to have fun. He wants you to use it, but he wants you to use it in the right way that won't devalue it or cheapen it. But interestingly, Paul also talks about speech. Right after talking about sex, he talks about speech because the Bible sees speech destructive speech as equally problematic as sexual sin. And I think sometimes we can pound the pulpit and pound the pavement about this in the church, about sexual sin. But Paul sees this one as the next one to mention. I don't know if you've ever seen the ads, America Runs on Duncan. Anybody ever see that ad? Yeah. All right, a couple of you, great. The rest of you don't know what we're talking about. But America <laughs> Runs on Duncan. And I'm actually not sure that's actually true. From my experience right now, America runs on outrage. It runs on outrage. When you look at pro-abortion protests or school board meetings or late-night cable news or podcasts or talk radio, you see destructive speech again and again and again. You see outrage again and again and again. You and I are being fed a steady diet of anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk. Proverbs 29, 11 says, A fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise person holds it in check. And we have to be careful. Because if we're constantly giving voice, uh, ear to voices that are angry, are full of wrath, or malice or slander, 
The Bible's saying, like, you're going to be discipled in their foolishness. The angry voices disciple you and me into believing that people who look differently than us, who act differently than us, believe differently than us, vote differently than us, are what's wrong with this country, what's wrong with our city, what's wrong with our world, and we've got to remove them and snuff them out. And if we're allowing those desires to take hold of us out there, they will come in here. You'll see, you and I will see the people who are wrong for our country or our city or our world and we'll think they're wrong for our church. So we can't associate with Democrats who come to our church because they're baby killers, we'll say. Or we can't associate with Republicans because they're all racists. Or we can't go to a church that talks about justice because that's what woke people talk about. The woke liberals, they always talk about justice. It doesn't matter if Amos talks about justice. Or I can't go to a church that preaches a more traditional sexual ethic because they're bigoted, exclusivists, talk about Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life, and he's the only way to heaven? They're so close-minded. I love Philippians 4, 5, because it says this, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Christians are supposed to be known for being reasonable. Outrage makes us unreasonable. You ever try to have a reasonable conversation with somebody who's out of their mind angry? And then what happens is we give in to that destructive speech and we start having destructive speech about each other. That church or these Christians or these people in my Bible study or whatever it may be. And the way Paul counters that, he's in Colossians 3, 11. If you look at verse 11, he says, Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. See, the Bible is so concerned that what we'll do is we'll see all of our differences and make those central. Rather than seeing our shared identity in Christ, who is all and in all, as central. And we'll put those differences and make those kind of the things that we divide over rather than saying, no, 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 this is my brother in Christ and he's a gift. This is my sister in Christ and she's a gift. Oh, we might be different in so many ways. Like sex is a gift. My brother and sister in Christ is a gift to me and will make me better. One of the big problems with sexual sin and destructive speech is it's built on the lie of consumerism. Consumerism says that happiness comes by me having more stuff. So I need to get as much stuff as I can and remove all other obstacles from getting more stuff before I die. So people become stuff to add or remove. And so for the sake of getting more stuff, I consume sex by treating someone on a screen as a commodity for me to enjoy. 
more stuff. For sake of getting more stuff, I start to consume anger by listening to people who make money off my outrage. And then I give vent to my own anger in a way that I talk about the problem people and I try to remove them from my life so then I could get more stuff. And I get the world that I want. Which is always interesting to me. Like the people who are the angriest voices in our world, I always wonder what it would be like if they actually got the world they wanted. They would be without jobs. Right? They, would, they wouldn't be able to pay their families. So do we, do we see the manipulation there? They may, like, if they got the world they wanted, they still probably wouldn't be happy because they'd be jobless. Because you would stop listening to them. And I would stop listening to them. We have to remove these obstacles so that we can have the world that we want and we can have no obstacles get in the way to get more stuff. And that's ultimately selfish because it does hurt people. It hurts others, and that might be obvious, but it also hurts you. Because what happens is that makes you entitled to get more stuff. You're entitled to it, right? If everybody's the problem, they're getting in the way of me getting stuff, I'm entitled to it. That's an entitled attitude. So I have sex with whomever I want and whenever I want. Or I should be allowed to say whatever I want to whoever I want. That's me being entitled to stuff. But that ultimately will paralyze you. So that when you don't have a sexual partner or a potential potential for one, you're told you're worthless and you feel worthless. Or if you have angry voices giving you a new thing every day to be angry about, you'll become paralyzed because you can't remember what you're supposed to be angry about today. I was angry about that yesterday. Are we supposed to still be angry about that? Or is there something new? And if that's the case, what should I be angry about today? And like social media feeds off of that. Just keeping us in this constant cycle of outreach, of anger. But people of the new age, Paul says, are supposed to be different. Supposed to act differently. So look at Colossians 3, 12-14. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. So stop for a second. See how he's, he's immediately reminding them who they are. God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. He says, put this on, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. People of the new age don't consume, they contend. They contend for God's new age, and they contend for brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's not selfish, it's selfless. And the more selfless we are, the Bible tells us the freer we are. And the better our world, our country, our city, and our churches will be when we stop treating people as stuff to consume or move out of the ways so we get more stuff. But instead we start to treat them as gifts to contend for. And if you were just to take these descriptors, the two lists, the put-to-death list and the, and the put-off list and versus the put-on list, and you just said, which one would I like to be Which one would I like my house to look like? Or my city to look like? Or my world to look like? 
I bet you would want the second list, the put on list, but we settle for the first one. And so we need to think, act, and then we need to submit. Let's look, if we continue verse, in the verse 15, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. The last step to transforming your desires is to submit to the Christ rule over your life. Paul says two times, let. Let. It's the language of submission. Submit to the peace of Christ, he says. In Jesus' death and resurrection, he offers us peace with God. And when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, your sins are forgiven and you can have peace with God. But what's also amazing is that Ephesians 2.14 says that it also gives you peace with others. It breaks down the dividing law of hostility, Paul says. So we submit to the peace of Christ. We also submit to the word of Christ. And we submit to him as king and we submit to his commands so that when that happens, his word dwells within us. And because what is true of him is true of us, when we speak to each other, we don't speak with destructive speech. We speak to each other as Christ would speak to us. If you're like me, no one talks as poorly about you as you do. And sometimes I have to stop myself and say, whoa, 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 Evan, would Jesus talk to you like that? Is that what Jesus says about you? Sometimes I sit in, with, in counseling sessions with someone and they go on and on, oh, I'm an idiot, I'm an idiot, or they're an idiot, and they do this. And I say, well, and it's a lot of times I go, whoa, 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 would Jesus talk to you about yourself that way? Would Jesus talk about them that way? What would Jesus say about them? And so we're supposed to encourage each other. A lot of times that can happen one-on-one, but also, which is interesting, and I don't think I ever really caught what, the drift of what Paul is trying to say here in verse 16. But he says, when we gather for worship, we sing. And when we sing, we remind each other of the truth. The truth that we have life, of the, we are in the age, the new age, and we have life with Christ. And we tell each other about that through song. So when you sing, you remind me. When I sing, I remind you that you are part of the new age about the truth of God. You hear about his holiness, his majesty, what he's done for you on the cross. And when I sing that out, you hear it. And when you sing it out, I hear it. And that changes me and encourages me. And we encourage each other to praise God who's rescued us and transformed our desires. So in terms of what that looks like, Paul says at the end here, verse 17, he says, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So every desire ends up coming under the sovereign rule of Jesus. So that everything you think, everything I think, every action we take is done in his name and we submit to his rule while doing it. And we do so not begrudgingly, not with twisted arms, but with thankful hearts, thanking God for everything he's done for us in Jesus every step of the way. So that everything you do, everything you think, Everything, every action you take is done in the name of Jesus. So when it comes to your desires, think in a transformed way. Start thinking of yourself as someone 
who's part of the new age, that what is Christ's, what is Jesus' is also yours. And that will start to change your desires, won't it? You think differently about yourself and who you are. And then allow that to change your actions so that you can put away the desires of consumerism that hurt you and others. So some of us might need to get an accountability partner to help us with sexual sin. Some of us might need to have software on computers or apps on our phones to help us get out of that. But accountability partners are great because sometimes you don't have the strength to squeeze the neck of that sin. And you need somebody to help lift up your arms and help you squeeze the air out of it, the breath out of it. Some of us need to cut out the outrage. Some of us need to stop watching late night cable news. Some of us need to get off of social media. We're just like, we're not meant to be hit with that much outrage all the time. I'm jealous of my parents and grandparents' generation who didn't know what to be angry about till the next day. <laughs> you know, like, till I got the newspaper. Oh, that's what's happening in the world. Like, we're not supposed to be seeing these images as, as much as we do. It does something to us. Some of us have podcasts. Like, if you're in the podcasting, there's probably some podcasts you need to delete and unsubscribe from. It's real easy. It's real easy to do it. Just push a button. It's gone. You don't think about it anymore. It won't download on your phone anymore. And some of us need to ask forgiveness from others for treating them as stuff. To add or remove. Some of us need to make phone calls or shoot a text message. Or just grab someone and say, hey, look, I'm really sorry. I didn't realize, but I was treating you as stuff. Because the way I treated you was not as a brother or sister in Christ. Please forgive me. And the good news is, if they're applying Colossians 3, they, they're told they have to forgive you. <laughs> but that's for God to work out with them. You're just supposed to ask for it. And we all need to grow, thankfully, submitting our desires to Christ that will only come when we understand what he's done for us and that his sovereign rule is actually reality now. And because we all need to grow in this, submission will first look like repentance. Confessing our sins but also receiving his forgiveness. And when we do these things, we will begin to see the Holy Spirit transform our desires, helping us to live lives that are consistent with who we are as people of the new age in Christ and what's already ours in him. Let's pray. Before we pray, if you're here today and you have never submitted to the rule of Christ over your life, you never put your faith and trust in him, I just want to give you a moment to silently confess that to Jesus and ask him for his forgiveness. And it can be as simple as this. Jesus, I've messed up. I've sinned. And I need your forgiveness. Help me to trust in you. Help me trust in your cross in your death and resurrection. And Father, for those of us who have put our faith and trust in Jesus, we thank you for what you've done for us. And we ask that you would transform our desires to make our lives consistent with the new life and the, be as people in the new age. 
And we pray that you would be with us, that you would walk with us, that the Holy Spirit would work in each of us. And we ask this in Christ's name, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen.